Welcome to Podcast by the Bay. This is Thursday, and I have a great opportunity to interview a James Coleman, who's currently sitting on South San Francisco's council. Um, he grew up in San Mateo County. Uh, his father worked for FedEx. His mom is a Taiwan immigrant. Coleman says he's an environmentalist activist. He says he's refusing corporate donations, says his platform that meets the needs of our times. First of all, I want to congratulate you for running for assembly. You're probably the youngest in the race. Is that true that you're the youngest in the race? Just by a little bit, and by a little bit, I mean about 20 years. <laughs> by 20 years. By well, 20 years. Welcome, James. And it takes a lot to run for public office. I know that. I am sitting on a council here in the peninsula, so I know how tough it is to run a campaign. Uh, James, um, James is running for the uh, 21st Assembly District next to replace Kevin Mullins. Kevin Mullins has been in there, and he's currently running for the Congressional District, or um, currently held by Jackie Spear, who's decided to retire. Welcome, James, to Podcast by the Bay. Is there anything you wanted to add to your introduction or your background and keep it within a minute if you can? Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Happy Thursday. And so, you know, uh, I was born and raised in South San Francisco uh, to working class family. Father was a FedEx worker, my mother, Taiwanese immigrant who works as a lab assistant at Kaiser, healthcare worker. Um, and, you know, my working class roots profoundly shaped my values. At a young age, my father suffered a traumatic injury that left him largely paralyzed and waist down, and my mother had to work two jobs in order to make ends meet. And so growing up, this made me want to study biology to learn how people can heal, but also study government to learn how we can make our medical system and our government work for everyone and not just the wealthy few. And so that's uh, why I studied biology and government at, at Harvard University. I was fortunate enough to be admitted after graduating from K-12 through public school here in, in South City, um, and then I came back to serve the community and to make sure that no more working families fall through the cracks. Why are you running? I mean, um, obviously you're, you're running against two other uh, outstanding candidates. Um, we're going to get into details later on about that, but why you as opposed to the two other candidates? Yeah, at a young age, I experienced what it was like to fall through the cracks, and and through you know our hard work and and through you know some some good luck, I was able to earn a, a full scholarship to Harvard University, uh, where I studied uh, biology and government. I worked in a neuroscience lab for a couple of years. I worked on fossil fuel divestment. Um, to, to fight for environmental justice and aggressive action on climate change. And then after the COVID pandemic hit, I returned back to my hometown of South San Francisco and saw how COVID was really wreaking havoc on our working class communities in healthcare, housing, education, and our childcare systems. And I ran for city council to bring about that change and justice I wanted to see in our community. And now running for a state assembly, we're running with a very clear purpose. That is that San Mateo County and California can't just work for the wealthy and well-connected. It has to work for all of us. That means a wealth tax on billionaires so they pay their fair share, aggressive action on climate change, investing in universal preschool and childcare, and also guaranteeing health care as a human right, including reproductive care. And oh, if I can interrupt, you know, it reminds me of a quote, and it says, effort and courage are not enough without purpose and direction. That was a quote from John F. Kennedy. Can you elaborate on what background or leadership skills you are going to bring to the thing? Obviously, you have some experience, personal experience, which which probably helps to motivate your, your campaign. 
Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, having the organizing background that I have, being in the community, born and, and raised in South San Francisco, and having the experience of being, you know, raised in a working class family that, that did fall through the cracks, I think, you know, what we need is a style of leadership that really centers the needs of average working class people. Um, you know, in, in the city council, I've had experience um, you know, working with my colleagues, all of us who have different ideological perspectives, and we've been very successful. We passed the first $5 hazard pay ordinance um, in the county for our essential grocery store and food retail workers. Uh, we are able to, uh, you know, work on getting a ballot measure uh, on the ballot that would lift the ban on affordable housing and allow our city of South San Francisco to build and operate our own affordable housing. And also, you know, in the community, we are able to bring together a coalition of unions, teachers, uh, advocates, and parents to work on the ballot measure uh, that would be voted on this November. And what it would do is modestly tax the big corporations in the city, bring the money back in the form of universal preschool and childcare for every single resident as well as every single worker, and it also raised the wages of our teacher wages to a living wage. Well, you live in, a, in an industrial city, in a city with a, a lot of uh, uh, Genentech and a few others out there, and you've been fa very passionate about housing. Obviously, we have a housing crisis not only in San Mateo County, but across the state. There's current legislation that has passed SB 9 and SB 10. We're not going to go into those right now. Well, what is your position on housing? Um, I've read a few articles on your position on housing. How do you think we should address the housing crisis that we have on the peninsula that affects all of us? Yeah, it's, it's undeniable that we have an affordable housing crisis, and so many people, so many seniors who have lived here for so, for so many decades, so many young people who've grown up here are struggling to pay rent, struggling to make ends meet, and, and you know, many are forced to move out of the Bay Area, the, the area that they call home. And so I think what we need to do is, is build housing at all income levels. But I think we need, really need to stress on building housing that maximizes affordability and community benefits. So I want to deviate from relying solely on the private market to build our housing needs and ensure that we are building uh, what's called mixed income public housing or, or mixed income social housing. Uh, taking examples of models that exist in, in Europe and in Asia where we have local housing authorities or our local cities build our own housing, uh, dictate all the terms, and make sure that every dollar is reinvested back into the community. That means in ensuring that we are maximizing on the affordability of the housing that's being built, ensuring for a high standard of labor of those who are building our housing, as well as a high environmental standard to ensure that the housing that we are being that is being built is sustainable for all. So, so are you kind of a, thinking that it, it should be a city, county, and state-funded uh, project to to create more housing? Um, I, I I think the cities, our cities, counties, and states could have a hand. In, in doing so, in funding it and also constructing it. I think really what, how, how this deviates from the, the status quo is that when a private developer is building housing, they're concerned about their bottom line. They're concerned about their shareholders and their investors, their, their profit margin. But if we allow our cities or, or a state to come in and build some housing, we can guarantee that every dollar in revenue is reinvested back into the community in, in an assortment of benefits, right? This can be um, you know, in the form of more funding for your local schools, in the form of lower rents for everyone who lives in that building, in the form of better funding for the local parks and for the local roads, ensuring that we are truly maximizing on the community benefit. 
currently we, we, we have a crisis, and I'm going to mix the two together, maybe you can address it, of homelessness. San Mateo County shares not as much as other areas in the state of California, but the homelessness seems to be connected to mental health and also drug addiction. Mm-hmm. Um, what would your proposal, I know currently uh, uh, Council and past Mayor Ann Olivia Nobre is working on a project right now that is being worked out near the bar station and, and they had some success rate. What's your vision on how we can approach the homelessness that we have in this state and the mental illness issues that we're, we're, we're suffering right now? Yeah, we definitely need to um, make sure that we are addressing homelessness at the root cause and making sure that we are providing people with the programs and resources for them to get back on their feet. Um, this means, of course, investing in mental health uh, resources in substance abuse resources and in long-term facilities that actually address the issue. And I think, you know, in South San Francisco, I've, I've experienced individuals, I mean, I, I read the police reports, are individuals who have a mental health crisis who are taken to the hospital by the police. Um, and then the next day they are released and then the, the problem just repeats itself. Like what, every one or two weeks they, they have another mental health crisis. And so this is not solving the issue. And so if we really want to address the issue, we need long-term facilities that will help people um, deal with their mental health illness as well as their substance abuse disorders and ensure that they are getting the help that they deserve. In San Mateo County, we currently only have one detox center for the entire county on, on Palm Avenue, and it's been closed for much of the pandemic. So if you are an individual who wants to um, detox, who wants to get off of your addiction, you currently... Or you might be struggling to find a method of doing so when we have these facilities closed. Um, I also believe in you know, addressing another root cause, which is the lack of affordable housing in San Mateo County. If we want to address homelessness, we also have to make sure that we are keeping people in their homes, that we are also providing people with affordable housing for them to, to live in. And this also means protecting our renters from unjust evictions and, and outrageous rent hikes. Well, you know, we, we went, we're still going through it, but it's almost over with the COVID. In the county, and this is an interesting thing, and I'm not going to say it's just precise, but we approximately had $46 million of uh, subsidized rent that was put aside for for renters or people in a distressed situation. Unfortunately, only a few million was used. So, I mean, the, the good news, the bad news, the good news is that it seems like somehow some of the landlords were not as bad as we all think, and it worked work its way through. Um, I, I, and we don't see that many unjustifiable evictions, but we do agree that that's not something we want to see represented. Um, what's, what's your stance on rent control? Mm-hmm. Do you have a position on rent control? Uh, we already have rent control in, in California uh, with AB 1482. Well, explain what you mean by 1482, because I think that was uh, just a a temporary ceiling would they put you could not increase rent over a 10% amount over the year. It's, it's, it's 5% plus CPI. Okay, 5% and, and, plus CPI. Yeah, and so that would that is a, a form of rent control that currently exists statewide in California. Okay, um, let, let's get into some heavier stuff here. Um, obviously, the mental health we just talked about, but mental health also has a lot to do with uh, some of the problems we're having with the mass shootings across this country. Um, What's your approach on gun control, uh, and uh, where do we take it from here? Uh, locally here, in the state of California, 
and across the nation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think we need common sense gun reform. Um, in South San Francisco, we are, are leading in that we passed uh, a gun lock or gun locker ordinance requiring all gun owners to have a locker um, or a lock on their gun to prevent misuse by other individuals. Um, and I think that, you know, Increasing background checks on those who, who wish to purchase a gun really makes a lot of sense. And just making sure that we are ensuring that those who do own guns are, are owning them responsibly, but also taking guns out of circulation, ensuring that those who should not be owning guns, such as those who have been previously convicted of, let's say, uh, domestic abuse, are not able to obtain them. I think you know we can have real common sense reforms that can have a, a large impact on the community. Well, why don't we get into a little bit? I, I, I appreciate what you're saying in common sense. What about assault rifles or uh, semi-automatic weapons? Do you think there should be a ban on those? Yeah. You know, we, we, we have back in Washington, D.C., what we call a divide, okay, uh, you know, between Republicans and Democrats and maybe uh, moderate Republicans and moderate Democrats. Um, but this polarization uh, seems to be an epidemic across the country, and it's a divide between um, families sometimes. How do you think you, as a representative of the Assembly, could extend or reach out your arm to some of the people that obviously don't hold the same political agenda that you may hold. Mm -hmm. How can we do a better job of that? Yeah, I think a lot of the divide is based more on partisanship than it is based on ideology. Because every... Uh, our, our American people, the people who live in our communities, are much more aligned on the issues um, when it comes to things like affordable housing, when it comes to guaranteeing health care as a human right, uh, making sure that we all have a living wage, that the richest among us, the big billionaires, are paying their fair share, and that we are fully funding the resources and programs that all of our working families depend on. I think it's when we focus on the issues that will bring real material gains to working-class, middle-class communities all across California, I think that's where we see a lot of the overlap and where we can make a lot of progress on the issues, not based on uh, the partisanship that only paints, you know, depending on what side on you're, that party bad, this party good, right? You know, um, San Mateo County about 20 years ago said we were going to become a green county, okay? And, you know, that 20 years has almost passed us. Now we're, we're talking about more. What's your position on climate control? And when we talk climate control, and also I'm going to dovetail into uh, um, one Bay Area, which is a custodian that is trying to bring up everything on the, uh, the airport areas and the areas that have low flooding and and stuff like that. What's, what's your position on climate control? Yeah, so, um, you know, my background, when I first got involved in politics was in, in climate change organizing activism. I was, you know, a stu I was a senior or junior in high school when I got involved with Alliance for Climate Education, and I worked with a fossil fuel divestment campaign at Harvard where we successfully pushed it's uh, you know, the richest university in the world to divest its $40 billion endowment out of the fossil fuel industry. I was very happy to see San Mateo County uh, do the same uh, earlier last year. Um, and we can do the same for CalPERS and CalSTRS in California, getting those divested and, and really making sure that we have a responsible pension for all of our workers, but also a moral investment structure. And I think I guess more broadly when it comes to climate change, I mean, this is one of the reasons why I'm running, is because the issue of the climate crisis is really going to be an issue that my generation faces, right? We're, we're going to bear the brunt of climate change, and we're already feeling its effects in sea level rise, 
in drought. We are facing the the most intense drought in California history at the moment, even though you know individuals aren't acting like it. Um, we are facing record-breaking wildfire seasons throughout California and pollution um, in, in our air and in our water. And we really need to have aggressive action on climate change. That includes making sure that we are holding pg and accountable for causing a lot of the wildfires and mismanaging their infrastructure throughout all of Northern California. I think we need a just transition away from fossil fuels and towards renewable energy infrastructure and production. Um, and I think we need to also address the emissions um, within our buildings, within our industries, and within our transportation sector, ensuring that we are creating more sustainable modes of transit, investing in public transit, um, and also ensuring that our biggest industries, um, such as you know, the biotech industry, such as big tech, are also operating much more sustainably. And I am proud to say that we currently have uh, a development, a new biotech development in South San Francisco that has just committed to being all electric and I believe is one of the first, if not the first, uh, to commit to doing so. Well, maybe you can uh, uh, maybe brag or talk a little bit about South San Francisco and the uniqueness of the industrial park because obviously it's not an, it's not an industrial park as much as it is a biotech and stuff like that. You've got Genentech and a few other um, well-known companies. How are they contributing to the uh, the, the uh, infrastructure in South San Francisco? I know you you guys have been fortunate enough to get a lot of money into mm -hmm. your general fund from some of these companies. Tell us a little bit how that happened and what's going on. Yeah, so of course property taxes um, from the large commercial office spaces and, and life sciences spaces contributes to the, the general fund. And you know, when, in the pandemic, when we saw a lot of city budgets across. California, across the country, really um, follow into an uncertain and precarious state. Uh, you know, biotechs did well during COVID, right? Um, they, they were able to uh, do research, continue research on the various diseases that you know, our, our communities and our society are facing and, and continue to, to make revenue and, and make an impact. Um, so, you know, biotech definitely contributes in that sense, but also when a biotech developer comes to South City, we have a series of impact fees that a developer must pay into the city to contribute to the community. This includes fees that help the construction of affordable housing um, in South San Francisco, as well as improving um, our roads, our transportation, um, as well as our schools and our parks. And in the next, I believe, 10 to 15 years, we're going to see an influx of over $115 million coming in the form of affordable housing impact fees or commercial linkage fees, uh, which would allow us to build much more affordable housing uh, throughout South San Francisco. Well, let's go back to the housing, and then we're going to dovetail into transportation. Currently, the uh, state of California has approximately 92, 93 surplus properties, which are all over the state, some in the unincorporated areas, some in local ordinances, which obviously could be used for housing. 50% of the cost of housing is the land. Mm -hmm. um, the sad thing is, uh, to this day, out of the 92 or 93 identified properties, only a couple of them have been put to housing. How can we do a better job on that? Because this is your land, this is my land. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's currently owned by the redevelopment agency? Well, it's, it's owned by the state of California. Mm -hmm. uh, just like we in Foster City have some property, it's, it's, it's owned by the uh, Estero Municipal District and also owned by by the, uh, the city of Foster City. So the state of California has surplus land in unincorporated areas as well as local, local cities too. Mm -hmm. How come we can't free up that land? Would you fight back there? Uh, 
in Sacramento to make sure that we get that land and put it to use? Absolutely. I mean, I think one of the most upsetting things is looking at the crisis that we're in with the affordable housing crisis and seeing plots of land stay unused and un- underutilized um, for, for many, many years. And you know, this, of course, is, is true for some of the land that the state of California owns, but it's also true of the you know, various private properties in South San Francisco where we see you know, landowners uh, sit on parcels of land, leaving them empty for, for you know, in some cases in, uh, around the time of a decade. Um, and so I think you know, we really need to uh, encourage effective use of land. I think you know, a vacancy tax is, is one way to do that, but also for the land that, that the state of California owns, I think we definitely have a moral responsibility to ensure that it is being developed and, and used correctly in a way that benefits the, the existing community the best. Well, the biggest crisis besides the housing crisis, at least in the immediate barrier, is transportation. Mm-hmm. Uh, currently in the San Mateo County, we do not have a transit district. We do talk that we have a seamless transportation, and I think we're trying to do it. But mm-hmm. when you look at BART, Caltrains, uh, SAM trams, they're all fighting for the same federal and state tax dollar, and that's based on ridership. Mm-hmm. What do you think we can do to make a more seamless transportation district to get people out of their cars? And when I preference that, I want to say that uh, from my understanding of the traffic studies on 101, most of the people are only going 30 to 40 miles in one direction, mm-hmm. okay, and back and forth, and that's pretty much. And even with the COVID situation, we're still having some, some heavy traffic. So mm-hmm. give me some of your ideas, and then tell me whether you think these express lanes that they're putting on 101 and 101 area, if you think it's going to work. I, the express lanes, I don't think is going to work. Um, and South San Francisco is one of the only cities, not the only city looking at it, potentially opposing it in South San Francisco because, I mean, studies have, have clearly shown over and over again that widening freeways does not help traffic. Um, and, and, you know, adding express lane, especially one which creates, uh, you know, two, two different types of lanes, one where you can pay to use versus one that doesn't, um, would, you know, disproportionately impact, you know, working class communities who may not be able to afford uh, you know, driving down that lane. I think, and especially since the express lane does not have any cost recovery um, for the cost it is going to take to to build that extra lane, um, I, I do not support that. I think the funds would better be used to improve public transit um, and ensure better connectivity. I think you know the bill that Senator Josh Becker has in the legislature to to have a seamless public transit system um, is very necessary. We currently have. Um, I believe 23 or 24 total transit agencies in the entire Bay Area, and they aren't collaborating as well as they could be. Uh, I mean, when you talk about people using public transit, you have to make it as frequent and as reliable and as convenient as possible if you want people to use it. If people are trans are are, um, are transferring from Caltrain to BART to Samtrans, they're paying sometimes two, three fares, maybe more, and ultimately it's going to save them money to be driving. Right, and so if we need, if we want people to use transit, we need to be need it to be convenient. We need it to be seamless, and we need it to be um, cheaper than than it is for driving. Okay, um, you know, 
Back in uh, May 12, Mark Simon wrote a column, and it basically said a malicious mailer mentions about direct attacks on, on different PAC organizations. What's your thoughts on this? I know you, you, you're not taking any corporate donations uh, or any PAC money. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple of the candidates are spending quite a bit of money, or PACs are spending quite a bit of money. What, what's your feeling on all this? I mean, we, we saw a nice, uh, or not a nice, some people's opinion, of, a large flyer on, on Giselle Hales um, on Facebook and all that other type, type of stuff out there. And these are not inexpensive. I mean, uh, these were put out by different organizations. What's, what's your opinion on it? Yeah, if, if, the, if the last two weeks reveal anything, it's that we need to get big money out of politics. I mean, in the past two weeks, out of nowhere, we saw one over $1 million get dumped into this campaign um, at the very last minute after ballots were all mailed out in an attempt, in a blatant attempt to buy the election. It's disgusting, right? By the big corporations, by PG&E, by Chevron, Valero, uh, the California Apartment Association, which represents corporate landlords, by the California Association of Realtors, by various big pharma companies. Um, and, you know, it, it just makes the case that we need big money out of politics. We need to make sure that our uh, campaigns are grassroots, that they are funded by people and not corporate special interests. And the interesting thing is, I mean, in, in California, out of 120 total state legislators, only two do not take direct corporate contributions. That's the same member, Alex Lee and Oshkara. In the federal level, it's currently banned, and, and I know we still have Citizens United, but it's currently banned from corporations to give directly to congressional candidates, but it's not banned in the state of California. So that's why we see a lot of our state legislators, as well as our local school board members, city council members, although less so, uh, be able to accept donations uh, directly from corporations. And I think if we want to see our elected leaders move much more quickly on the issues that would improve the lives of everyday average working people. It means getting big money out of politics, getting corporate money out of politics, and I'm proud to have made that commitment early on and to still be the only candidate not taking any money from corporations because I believe it's way past time that we place the interests of working people over that of corporate profit. We in the state of California announced by the governor and legislature have billions of dollars to surplus money. If you were back here in the assembly, how would you spend the money? These are one-time funds. I think the best way to spend the money is on infrastructure. Child care centers, improving our, our schools, our roads, our public transit infrastructure. I think infrastructure is, is something that is so desperately needed to be upgraded. Uh, I would even say better uh, you know, public internet access as well and ensuring that we are investing in areas um, that will you know, ultimately give back to the community in the form of a better revenue and, and better output. You know, we talked about the divide. I'm, I'm going to put you back for a moment, back in January 6th when we had the insurrection back in Washington, D.C. How did you feel about your country then? Mm-hmm. Disappointed, disgusted, um, but ultimately not very surprised considering the, uh, the election of, of Trump and, and what he ran on and, and how that um, it, it empowered a lot of bigoted people um, in the United States. You know, I'm going to give you a few moments to brag about your campaign, where, where people can reach out for you. I know you've got a lot of social media out there, and I know you've been through what, what we call a lot of debates. Uh, 
Can you tell us how many debates you've been through so far, or, or, or meetings? And, and uh, well, uh, countless meetings, um, but I think public debates only two, I believe. Well, you know, I've got a question. Some, some people would probably call you a spoiler, and a spoiler is obviously going to not make it easy for one candidate to win. Um, I admire you for your determination, your youth, your inspiration. So do you consider yourself a spoiler in this? And, and if you were not successful, are you going to come back? I'll still be around, <laughs> no matter what happens here, you know? And I think no one is entitled to a seat. I think, you know, our elected position should be earned and not bought. Um, and I'm, you know, giving my heart and soul into this campaign, knocking doors, making calls, really getting out there and, and you know, platforming a lot of issues that otherwise would not be talked about if I were not running. Um, you know, issues such as building mixed-income social housing, such as a wealth tax on billionaires so they pay their fair share, holding pg accountable, and also investing in universal preschool and childcare. These are issues that uh, other candidates are not talking about, and I'm glad that we are platforming these issues for, for uh, our voters to, to make a choice in. On behalf of Podcast 5 Debate, Mr. Coleman, I want to wish you the best of luck in the upcoming June primary on June June 7th. Great to have you interview with us on Podcast 5 Debate. Yeah, thank Thanks. you. It's an it's honor.